This summer, we started with Abraham and Sarah, who laughed at the idea that a 100-year-old man and a 90-year-old woman would have a child. That child was named Isaac. Isaac married Rebecca, and after they also tried for many decades, she finally became pregnant and gave birth to twins Jacob and Esau. But in a sign of what was to come, the twins put up a terrible battle inside Rebecca's womb. And when they came down the birth canal, Jacob grabbed the heel of his twin and never stopped trying to get ahead of his older brother. He used every means of trickery and deception he could think of. Among the stories told, Jacob sold Esau some stew for the price of his birthright. Later, Jacob dressed himself with Esau's clothes and covered his neck and arms with goatskin in order to trick their near-blind father, Isaac, while laying on his deathbed into giving Jacob power over the tribe. He was helped by his co-conspirator mother, who took cooked goat to taste like venison. You can read or hear or listen to this, these stories in the sermons this summer. When Esau learned he had been tricked again, he was so enraged he vowed to kill his twin brother. Their mother sent her favorite son off to live with her brother Laban. As Jacob ran for his life, the first night he was so exhausted that he slept with a rock for his pillow and dreamed <coughs> excuse me, of messengers like God's angelic office workers going up and down from heaven, the place where we get this familiar image of Jacob's ladder. So he finally made it to Uncle Laban's and began working for him and fell in love with Laban's daughter Rachel. Uncle Laban promised Jacob that he could marry Rachel if he worked for free for seven years, and Jacob agreed, and at the end of seven years he indeed married Laban's daughter. Except the morning after the marriage he was already consummated, he woke up and discovered he had just slept with Rachel's sister, Leah. Uncle Laban had tricked Jacob into marrying his oldest daughter, but promised that Jacob could marry Rachel if he worked for free for another seven years. The trickster met his match. Although, to add to this soap opera, Jacob began a scheme to steal his uncle's sheep. So after 20 years of this dysfunctional family dynamic, Jacob felt God was calling him to reunite with his estranged twin brother. It was a frightful idea because you'll remember their last in interaction had involved Esau's raging vow to kill Jacob. But the time had come. Jacob, however, didn't tell Laban he was leaving. He just took off with his wives and his possessions, his 11 children and livestock, plus some of Laban's possessions, those ill-gotten sheep. And Rachel added to the fun by stealing her father's household gods Remember, when Laban discovered this, he raced after their caravan and demanded what had been stolen. He searched through everything, but Rachel sat on the gods and declared it was her time of the month, so she couldn't be touched. Laban went home infuriated, while Jacob's caravan moved on toward an uncertain reunion. I wanted to remind us of this backstory because this is all part of that which Jacob is now wrestling. But this time, it wasn't a dream on a rock pillow. It was so real he walked away from it, limping from a torn muscle. But before I talk more about this wrestling match, I want to finish the story of Jacob and Esau. Next week, the lectionary skips on to one of Jacob's sons, 
Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat. But leaves us wondering, well, what ultimately happened with Jacob and Esau? So for 20 years, Jacob had imagined, fretted over what might happen and if he ever saw his twin brother again. God told him it was time, but Jacob didn't want to just show up unannounced. So he sent some messengers ahead to prepare his brother. They were to announce, this is a message from your servant, Jacob. Servant, you noticed? Not brother who tricked and deceived and stole from you? He said, I've lived as an immigrant with Laban, where I've stayed until now. I own cattle, donkeys, flocks, men and women servants. I'm sending this message to my master now to ask that he be kind. His master? (laughs) Jacob is laying it on pretty thick as he begs for mercy. So the messengers took the message to Esau and came back with a message from Esau that says, He is coming to meet you with 400 men. Hearing the report back, Jacob was terrified. He prayed to God, You were the one who told me to do this, so you better protect me. Save me from my brother. Jacob came up with a strategy. He divided everyone and everything into two camps. He thought if Esau meets the first camp and attacks it, at least one camp will be left to escape. Then he pulled aside 200 female goats and 20 male goats. And he sent a servant ahead and told him, When Esau asks who you are, Tell him these are a gift from his servant Jacob. Also tell him, Jacob's right behind me. An hour later he sent a group of 200 lambs and 20 rams with the same message. They are a gift of Jacob. He's right behind. An hour later he sent 30 nursing camels with their young. Same message. An hour later, 40 cows and 10 bulls. And an hour later, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Every time... The same message. Jacob thought he could pacify Esau and overwhelm him with one generous gift right after the other. You know, quite the contrast to all the things Jacob had stolen from Esau. That's when Jacob went back across the river and spent the night alone. As it turned out, not alone, but a night spent wrestling with, well, was it angels or demons or God? Was he wrestling with his conscience or maybe his fears? All of the above? And think of all the baggage he was carrying. In the morning, he limped across the river and rejoined his family on the other side. His fears were confirmed when in the distance he could see Esau coming closer with his 400 men. Oh, crap, my plan didn't work. Jacob frantically took his women servants and their children and put them together in a group out front. And behind them, Leah and her children together. And behind them, Rachel with Joseph. And behind them stood Esau. He then came out from behind and approached Esau, bowing to the ground seven times. When Esau first spotted Jacob coming from behind these groups of women and children, the big hairy brute came running but not with fists ready to punch, but with arms wide open. Esau hadn't sent an army of 400 to harm Jacob. He sent a great big welcoming party. 
Esau threw his arms around Jacob's neck and kissed him, and they wept. And then he asked to be introduced to all his sisters-in-law and nieces and nephews. And then he asked, well, what's with all the gifts you sent? I don't, I don't need any of that. Take them back. It's the consummate story of grace and generosity of spirit that reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. We may agree the father had every right to demand a full accounting of what his wasteful son had done with his inheritance. The father had every right to be angry and skeptical that his son would have finally come to his senses. But he wasn't angry and told his oldest son, who was angry, I'm just happy we're reunited. I thought my son was dead, but he is alive. Esau too could have recited a litany of all the ways Jacob had tricked him and deceived him, but instead he was grateful to be reunited with his twin. To finish their story, the brothers had so many livestock and family members. They were so rich and successful that they had to part ways and live in different lands. There simply wasn't enough room. But for the first time in their lives, after they all that they had been through, all the way from the womb, they were at peace with one another. That must have been quite a relief for their father, Isaac. Remember him? He's still alive. Remember, he was supposed to have been on his deathbed 20 years before when Isaac tricked when Isaac was tricked out of giving his blessing to Esau, his favorite son. Isaac didn't die until he was 180 years old, at a time when his sons were at peace. <laughs> I'm almost out of time, and I haven't even spoken of Jacob's wrestling in the night and what it means. But first, there is still a couple of things I want to make sure you understand. To be clear, Jacob and Israel are the same person. When you hear about the 12 tribes of Israel, that's about the same thing as saying the 12 sons of Jacob. We'll talk more about that next week. This night of wrestling marks the transition from Jacob, named for grabbing his brother's heel as they were born, to Israel, which mean, means one who strives or struggles or wrestles with God. This is a very important story because it teaches that to be the people of God is not to be the puppets of a grand marionette, but people who push and pull and argue with God and accuse God of being unfaithful and yet know that it is to God that we belong. Like any relationship, love is sometimes expressed in affection and sometimes in anger, but it still remains love. Genesis 22 is a profoundly mysterious story that raises numerous unanswerable questions. Like, who is this being with whom Jacob wrestles? Or we may ask, with whom or what are you wrestling? What prompts their nighttime battle? Well, what are the questions about which you lay in bed at night worrying? And why is Jacob injured? Yes, why can't we be spared of pain? Corinne Calvallo defines faith as the stubborn refusal to let God off the hook. Wrestling. 
An adult faith welcomes that struggle. Answers to ultimate questions don't come neatly packaged. In fact, answers aren't the point. Meaning doesn't come from having the answer. Meaning comes from the struggle to understand. It's what changes us, transforms us, even renames us. It changed Jacob into Israel. So what are you wrestling with today? Angels? Demons? Is it God? Or your conscience? Or your fears? Hold on. Persist. And remember, when you demand an easy answer, it's a blessing that God invites us to wrestle, not to be puppets. <laughs>